Buckle the fuck up. That's gonna be a sound clip. Buckle the fuck up. This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Justin, your dad. And I'm Nathan, coincidentally enough, also your dad. And I'm Yara, Youth Outreach Coordinator. And today we're going to be reviewing UGA's, I guess, scare against Auburn that occurred yesterday on the Plains. If you've never listened to a review episode, we are going to be doing this from a qualitative and quantitative standpoint, just as we do in every episode. We'll be talking about our experiences in the qualitative section. Also, we'll go over some news and notes. We will hit some big events from around the league, and we will talk about whatever shenaniganery or general mishaps that we got up to yesterday. Then in our quantitative standpoint, we will be talking about our own personal game notes, as well as going over some handcrafted, hand-selected stats that I have sommelier out for you. Bespoke. 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 I have tailored these like a quiet young tailor on Seville Row. I have made each one of these stats for you. So if you would like to get a little more involved in this podcast, Yara, what can the people do? If you want to get more involved, you can come check out our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can come join an amazing community of patrons and have access to our unedited show feed and listen to us record live and so much more. There are different tiers that you can subscribe to that get you different benefits that, in my opinion, are really cool. So come check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Chapel Valkyrie. Well, let's do our qualitative review. So I'm going to start out with just some news, then Justin is going to hit us with some information from around the league, and then we're going to talk about our experiences. One thing that is just a little preview that you can look forward to is that Justin and I's experience notes are three or four bullet points apiece, and Yara's are like 20. So really, really <laughs> excited about that chunk of the podcast. I think we, we should just save Yara's experience for last, because hers is way more interesting than us. So starting out with our news segment, with what I would like to call Kirby quotes, I have some quotes for Kirby Smart. And last week, I maybe a little performatively said that I went through and watched his whole press conference after the game, which I did. But this week, I am just going to go back to doing it the way I used to, which is that these all come from 24-7 and Kip Adams. So thank you, Kip. I know you are an avid listener. So a so couple of quotes. Feel free to respond to any of them. I, I w- I'm really interested in hearing what you think. So. First off, he says, you know, the leadership of this team has shown up twice, and you don't know how many times you're going to be able to do that when you turn the ball over and you give people extra possessions. You just can't do that. Good football teams don't do that, and good football teams don't let people run the ball for 200 yards. Telling it like it is. Good football teams don't let friends... Wait. Good friends don't let good football teams do that. Yes, that's true. We are trying to be good friends. Kirby's next quote. In the past, we haven't struggled with that kind of run game. They hurt us. They copied some things that UAB did, and we expected it. That's what's the disappointing thing. You expect it, and you don't stop it. We've got to help our players and get better on defense. I agree. I'm upset that Hugh... The fact that Hugh Freeze copied something that Trent Dilfer did, and it still worked, is deeply upsetting to me. It's like they're creating their own Sinister Six, is what I feel. Like, I don't like what they're doing But much like the Sinister Six, like they're kind of ineffective and like chuckle fuckery you know but also Mm -hmm. they could kill spider-man i also you know (laughs) before last last episode especially yara and i were really like beat this team until they die and i and i wish that that had happened but i am wondering if it wasn't better to make them think that they could win (laughs) 
and then have them not win in the fourth quarter. It's kind of more fun that way. You know who else died on a cross for our sins? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> if you were if you were listening to the pre-show, you would think it's DJ Khaled, though. That's <laughs> possible, yeah. You know who else kind of gave it all up in the fourth quarter so that we could live a better life? <laughs> Tell us about it. Jesus. Much like Hugh Freeze in Auburn football. I did think that Auburn Jesus was going to get us on this one. Anyway. On losing the turnover battle, but winning the game, he said, not supposed to do that. <laughs> that means we must have won the explosives. But I don't Neat. know if we won that. The explosive is a greater indicator than turnovers, as Seth knows. It's one of those deals that we can't do that. Now, to be clear, we did actually win the explosive battles. We had seven explosive plays per EPA, and they had four. So he, he was correct. And he just sort of hat-tipped Seth Emerson for writing about explosives. On Brock Bauer's performance on the evening, he said, Bowers did what he does. I mean, the guy is amazing. It's a wonder why you don't just go to him every play. That's what I'm saying. Literally. We need to run the Brock Bowers offense, which I guess we kind of did. Yes. Speaking of that aforementioned favorite man, Brock Bowers, he said on his game-winning touchdown, and this is like one of my favorite quotes from the history of college football. I mean, I just ran my route and it ended up being open. I kind of just ran. That was about it. Brock Bowers national fucking treasure dude it's giving it's giving that that interview from bedazzled with liz hurley and brandon frazier when he's like tell us about the game experience and he's like well i just went out there i gave it 110 percent, and you know guys guys play good i play good coach played good i gave 110 percent." we were talking about it in our pre-show but the idea that brock bowers doesn't know that he's a better athlete than the people around him is hilarious i think that the truth of it is like the the team and, and coaches have probably been nagging him from the start and he just doesn't know how good he is. <laughs> I, no, but I like the idea that he, he was going to be like a winemaker in Napa. And then he was like, well, I'm pretty good at football. Yeah. Let's go see how the wine is in Georgia. And then he's going to be like getting drafted to the NFL. and like, oh, they want me to play in the NFL? Oh, that's fun. Malachi Stark said on his game-winning interception, and I thought this, this was really a the biggest compliment that you can pay Kirby and his staff. This was Malachi Stark's on his interception. That route they ran was actually their favorite third down route. We've been practicing that all week. When we went to the sideline, Coach Schumann actually Oof. drew that up. We talked about how many times they ran it and how they like to pass to pass off of it. That's preparation. That's why we win games. I mean, come on. When you can tell a player, hey, on this down, they're probably going to run this route. Like, God God bless you, Glenn Schumann. Uh, you also have a quote here. I think I just really enjoy I enjoy being able to pluck like little quotes from from stories and news pieces. Because sometimes they just say exactly what they mean. Like, there's nothing else there. And this was from a quote I saw on ESPN. Georgia's school record uh, winning streak ultimately stretched to 22 games, even if the Bulldogs only dominated when they absolutely had to. And this one was actually, I, I will say, this is very good to me because, yes, that's in fact how winning works. And a lot of people online, like all of the the folks on Twitter and, and all the, you know, the couch QBs uh, have been saying exactly this. They're like, all our care is about the W. There you go. That's that's my bone for them. Yeah, it's almost like saying Georgia scored more points georgia scored more points than their opponent so their winning streak increased it's like thank you <laughs> yeah, exactly. like that's just a little bit of fluff like there was a thousand character requirement for this piece and we hit it so justin around the league you've got some notes about what happened yesterday would you like to clue us into anything that you thought was notable from yesterday's games outside of georgia I would love to. And y'all feel free to do the same after we go through a few of these. But these were all fun games that I watched over the weekend. The only one that I that, that I think is really super important for us. Well, there's a couple in here that are super important for us. The first of which being the Kentucky and Florida game. Just And we'll talk about this a little bit on this episode, just where sort of our weaknesses were against Auburn and how we hope to fix those things going forward. But Kentucky, Ray Davis, the running back over at Kentucky, 280 yards 
against Florida. 280 yards, not counting the yards to the air. Those are all ground yards, y'all. That is a ton of yards, and I am really worried that that may be something that happens to us next week, but we'll we'll have to see. I'll also add that Kentucky's quarterback situation is not as good as Auburn's quarterback situation, which is really not saying much, but it looked very similar if you look at the box score for these two games. Kentucky has some quarterback problems. Auburn very obviously had some quarterback problems, but they, they seem a little bit further in the journey to fixing those things. But the result of this game may be a bit indicative of, of what we need to do to win next week. In the Pac-12, if you can still call it that, Oregon State versus Utah was very fun to watch. It's probably my favorite game of the weekend on Friday. The word I chose to use in our notes was Oregon State's got some real chutzpah. And they seem to have luck on their side. They are fun to watch. They throw a lot and they just have some great receivers and and great folks that are blocking in the line. Utah's defense, fantastic for the most part. Their offense, you could not say the same about, but a really great game, 17-10, Oregon State came out on top. Yara, did you get to see the Colorado and USC game? I did. Yes. All I can say from that game, despite, if you look on the game on paper for these two teams, Colorado looked really great. Like they are in the green for much of the team stats and the percentiles as far as like epa per play 91st percentile and the rest of them are all uh, above average when you compare them to the rest of the league but i think what this game tells me more than anything with usc coming out on top 48 41 against colorado is that usc's defense is bad quite bad and that bodes well, I guess, if we do end up having to play USC later on the season, which there is a chance for that. They are one of those teams that may very well make it to the playoffs. And if we are making it to the playoffs, we might see a USC. We might see a Texas. We'll see what happens. But the very last game of the weekend that I that could bear some weight upon our, our season is the Ole Miss and LSU game. It was messy. And I would not say, I would not go so far as to say that it was fun to watch, but big points do make big excitement. I don't think it's good for anybody when combined the two teams playing on any given day are above 100 points that is bad for everybody (laughs) and that was one of these games I, i think the final score was what like 55 to 48 or something with Ole Miss on top and lsu almost came back the only reason they didn't win is because the receiver in the end zone as they worked their way down the field with just a few seconds left on the clock the ball hit him in the hands and bounced off and Ole Miss came out on top so good for them and we'll see them later in the season they overcame a a pretty horrible ref call where there was LSU touchdown that probably should not have been a touchdown that was well I I don't think it was confirmed it was upheld on video review and so good for them beating the refs although I will say it got a little dicey there where it was like man if Ole Miss doesn't win this game because of that ref call it might be like inappropriately violent thing right just to backtrack slightly to the Oregon State thing I gotta say, I think chutzpah is the right word, but I also love that Oregon State's version of the spike pads is, or the savage pads, is a actual it's a chainsaw functioning chainsaw. Yes, <laughs> I don't think it has a chain on it, but like when they get a turnover, there's just a dude in the in on the sidelines, like just like and it's like man, that is genius. And I and I think it has to do with the fact that a they're the Beavers, and b you know like forestry is like a big deal in Oregon and Oregon State's in the middle of nowhere. So God bless them. Anyway, let's talk about our experiences on the day. I'll start, then we'll have Justin, then we'll land on the person who really has something to say. Yesterday, because I'm an old man, I, a couple of weeks ago, sprained slash re-aggravated my ankle. As a tall person, I'm very lucky that I, I, even with scoliosis, I've had very few back problems over the years especially after I've lost weight, but all of the working out to lose weight transferred all of the evil from my back to my ankles. So I just kind of like, 
occasionally my ankle just decides to fuck itself. So yesterday was a well-needed Saturday of not moving. And it was really, really great. It was, it was a really beautiful experience. If you had walked into our house, you would have thought that I was like a deeply toxic husband for most of the day because my wife was just like running around doing a bunch of work and I was just laying there. We had an Ina Garten recipe for dinner and it was very good. We, we made like roasted sausage and peppers with polenta. I, my wife is an amazing cook and I love making that recipe, but it's always hilarious to me because we have an Ina Garten cookbook and in it, there's all these notes that are like for white people. Like the recipe called for the use of two poblano peppers. And in the bottom, there's a little box that's like poblano peppers are a type of chili from Mexico. Don't worry. <laughs> they're not hot. And it was like, what the hell? Thanks, Ina. Thanks, Ina. She knows her audience. Yeah. Ina knows that a bunch of wine moms are making this. And, the, and she's like, no, no, no. These taste good. They're like bell peppers. Don't worry. But yeah, we had a bunch of really good food, food yesterday. Samantha cooked. And then Anna actually came over while Justin was working and Anna made an apple galette. That was very, very Ooh. good. Yeah, it was like a sort of like a pastry pie kind of thing. Is what it, it's like a tart. Is what a galette is. And Anna said that the crust wasn't good, but I loved the crust. I thought it was. I thought it was very good. It was very good. So we had, yeah. we had a very good dinner. We hung out. I we had some sort of like pet exposure therapy. Whenever Anna and Justin come over, they bring their beautiful dog Pepper, and then we have to put our cats up. So we kind of set up a like exposure experiment where the cats could see Pepper, but pepper couldn't get to them and it went pretty well so that's good like the kids the yeah. kids can talk now uh, pepper was kind of an anxious wreck <laughs> through most of the game because i was standing up and she didn't like that and then on the game ceiling interception by malachi starks uh, pepper just thought i was dead pepper was like r like ran up to me and was like oh no oh no this is it nathan he's done he's down he's down for the count <laughs> Mom, save him. Why save is no him. one helping this man? He's, he's had a heart attack. Save him, please. Anyway, Justin, how was your day? My day was mostly taken up by, we, we were at the Pride Festival, Books for Keeps was in Athens, which was at Terrapin this year. It was very fun. It was very well organized. Lots of fantastic organizations came out and it was from 12 to 6. And so right in the middle of the day, but our bookmobile was there. We gave out books all day. We gave out right around like 450 to 500 books to folks coming through. And it's always fun to go to like primarily an adult Thing. Like most of the things we do were for kids. We go to schools, we go to daycares, you know, we go to community events, but most of them are usually like, we'll put books for keeps in the kids fest area. But the last two times we've done, uh, we did the pride parade in the spring and we did the pride festival this time at Terrapin. And both of those times we've given away way more adult books. And it's kind of fun to be able to talk to book nerds as they come through because people of all ages and all like varying interests when it comes to books that come through. But it's a different fun when it comes to being able to talk to other book nerds that are roughly my own age about books than it is like just talking to kids about their favorite animal and is that animal in a book that you have on the bus <laughs> both are good but it was really nice to be able to talk to adults all day about it but at one point in the day so the the last performance of the day they had like a, a stage where they did music and stuff and then the very last performance was a drag show and one of the the drag queens whose name is mama fox she came up to me she was like this beautiful dark-skinned woman that was like almost had to be like seven feet tall wearing heels and she goes i love your bus can i start my performance coming out of it and i was like absolutely i'll do whatever you say yes yes ma'am <laughs> and so she sat there and like fanned herself until 
her number and then she came out like fiercely and then proceeded to throw ass like all over the drinking festival grounds or wherever and it was incredible great time 10 out of 10. I did get to watch the last quarter of the game because that's around when the festival was over, packed up some of the bus, and then was able to watch it inside the end of it. So it was a really good time. Packed up, went home, watched some football, you know? It's a good time all around. But Yara, you had a classic Athens day and night, and I would love to hear you weave us a tale of your adventures. Buckle the fuck up. That's going to be a sound clip. Buckle the fuck up. I think, y'all, a night in Athens can leave you with many questions the morning after, and last night was no exception. So I've I've written down some of the questions that I had, um, which you too, dear listener, can access for what, like three dollars, five dollars? Uh, Patreon.com. Five dollars, I believe. Five, there we go. Patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. Here are some of the questions I had. I also woke up so drunk, y'all. I needed, like, I took a shower. I had my Minecraft music playing, and I just decompressed. And it was so good. But here are some questions I had. Am I bankrupt? No. I was financially responsible last night. Hallelujah. Um, Why is my house clean? Was my second question. And the answer is I drunk cleaned it. I deep cleaned my apartment while drunk. Why is there a corn dog on my nightstand? Couldn't tell you. Was it eaten at all? No. <laughs> okay, great. Just, Frozen? Just a, no, air fried. Plate? Just, just corn dog. No plate. Just corn dog. Just no tissue. plate. Just corn dog. Love yep. it. The house is clean, but nightstand is not. Do you, do you have corn dogs yeah. in your house? Like, other yes. than this one? Good question. Okay. Yes. Okay. Kaylee introduced <laughs> me to the glory that is a corn dog. Like, just the other day. It was like, Whatever, Thursday, Friday. Wow. I've never had a corn dog before. I thought they were pork. So, like, I've never had one. But I had one for the first time, y'all. And it felt like the 2021 National Championship. Like, that's exactly what it felt like. Top 10 experiences ever. This is very funny to me. It's like a reverse experience that I had earlier this year where I had soup dumplings for the first time. I was like, this white boy is eating soup dumplings and my life has changed and now i have like a steamer basket and more than 150 soup dumplings in my freezer right this minute (laughs) so (laughs) i get it i understand like have you had an all beef hot dog yes okay because like but then second question have you had the corn dog at hilo which i believe is also all beef but you'll have to you'll have to verify it is no it's hebrew national yeah okay you know where hilo is have you have you been hilo no Okay, we gotta okay, go to Hilo. Gotta go to Hilo. Oh my god, do y'all want to go to Hilo later tonight? We can party. Maybe Nathan's on break, so Yara, if you want to like text my wife and see if I can go, like asking my mom or whatever, <laughs> then <laughs> can Nathan come out and play? Hilo is like my favorite dive bar in Athens. It is, I think, the best. It, it is a good bar, but it is it kind is. of a dive bar. But they have a hand breaded, hand dipped corn dog that will will change your life. So good. You know about Hebrew Nationals, right, Yara? No. So that's the kosher dog. Yeah. Um, So kosher hot dog. And they're, in my opinion, they are the best hot dog. They are very good. Nice. But y'all just added something to my Athens to-do list. Thank you. Please continue on the questions, though. What other questions did you have for yourself? So I woke up and I checked my email because I'm lame. And I have tickets to see the Barbie movie that I think I bought with some... Tonight at 6.15 p.m. And I think I bought these... (laughs) Like, me and the girlies that I met 
at church, which I will get into later, but I think I can get a refund on it because I don't want to go see the Barbie movie. I, I'm, I need to recover and rest. So that's what I need to do tonight. And my final question is, what the fuck happened last night? And here's my answer. I started off my Saturday by going to Walmart with Kaylee and getting some chips and a pack of Mike's Lemonade and Tritone, like Creature Comfort Tritonia. What a fascinating Walmart cart we had. Then we got back and I voluntarily turned on the Georgia football game. Mistake number one, because what the fuck, man? I, I didn't know that I could like physically hunker down as much as I did last night. I was like sliding off my couch on the floor with like a blanket up to my nose, holding hands with Kaylee and like praying. I'm not like a super ultra religious person, but I do believe that like prayers can work. And the last time I truly kind of lost faith in the game um, was the Peach Bowl against Ohio State, right? And I was there and I called my mom. I was like, mom, can you please pray for the dogs to win? Because like, I believe that her prayers are like, like, that's that, that's that good, good. You know, my mom's awesome. So I asked her to pray and then we won. I think those might be correlated. So I called her in the third quarter and she wasn't picking up her phone. So I had to call my sisters to go tell them to tell my mom to answer the phone. And then she did. And I was like, mom, I need you to pray for the dogs. Like, can you lead me and Kaylee in prayer, please? And she did. Can you tell me on a scale from like one to 10, where were you on the drunk scale at this point? Oh, I was sober. I was sober for the entire okay. game. It was that stressful. Um, I wish I wasn't. I didn't need to be sober for that. So then I called my dad, because apparently my dad used to be like super religious. And I asked him to pray for the dogs, which I've never done before, but it worked. He, he did. And he texted me after we started, you know, coming back. And he was like, I guess the prayers worked. And I was like, yes, they did. Thank you. Please continue to do what you're doing. And then I prayed with Kaylee some more. And I think all three of those things helped a lot. Like, again, I'm not super religious, but I think those things helped. After we won, I called my parents. I thanked them for praying. And I think one time we talked about, like, how my parents feel about me being on the podcast. And I think I kind of have an answer. So my dad, I was, like, crying. Duh. And I called my dad. And I was like, thank you so much. And my dad was like, are you okay? Like, this is just a football game. It is not that serious. So that's how my dad feels about football. And then I called my mom, and my mom said, go dog, singular. Go dog. Go dog. Just one. She was talking about Brock Bowers. She was like, Brock Bowers. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Just Brock Bowers. The rest of them, I don't know. Go dog. Maybe she was giving you like a, it was like a vote of confidence. It's like, go dog. Oh, my dog. Go on. My dog. <laughs> my dog. My dog. Do you got it like that with your mom? Are you guys tight? Yeah. Oh, my mom's goaded. God willing, my dog. <laughs> Inshallah, go dog. Inshallah, go dog. Yes. <laughs> that should be the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Inshallah, go dog. That's how my parents feel about football and probably me being on the podcast. Go dog, singular. And after I called my parents and I was like, yeah, I'm going to like go to bed early. I think I deserve it. I immediately hung up the phone <laughs> and grabbed my Mike's lemonade and took a shower with my Mike's. That was the first time I've had a shower, like alcoholic beverage. And that was really cool. Like, I just really appreciate a shower. I can appreciate the nuance of a shower beer now. 
So it's special. Exactly. Did not pregame efficiently at all. So I was still very sober at this time. Then I went to the bell. I went to Chapel Bell. I met up with Jake Ashley and a bunch of friends. And it was so much fun. I rang the bell so much. It was really quiet too. Nobody was ringing it, which is fair. We didn't need to ring it after that fucking shit show. And we went to church to meet up with Kaylee's co-workers, and that was pretty fun. But at some point, the co-workers uh, kind of mentioned that, one, they did not watch the game. Two, that they wanted Georgia to lose so they can be humbled. And three, they're not Taylor Swift fans. So I knew that I had to, like, pack my shit. I had to leave. Three strikes, you're out. Yeah, I had to leave. I did have to spend money on a Red Bull, unfortunately, because it was Max Verstappen's birthday. I don't know if y'all know this, but I, well, you do, but I'm big on F1. So I had, to, I had to do it to him and had to support the boy. Absolutely. Like at some point, some more of Kaylee's coworkers came in and I actually already previously met them on Thursday, uh, at dollar beer night. So it was a cool little reunion moment. And eventually they were like, we are going to go to nineties. Do you want to come with? And I said, hell yes. Hell absolutely. Yes questionable moves on my part there so we went to 90s i don't know a series of unfortunate events occurred after 90s and then i ended up back at church to meet up with my other friend anna and i got to sake duh i did get my my discounted shots for free 99 i bought the bartender's shots in exchange for that so i guess it's not free i don't know how that yeah girl math that doesn't works. sound free to me i it's some girl math but eventually i ended up home I drunk deep cleaned my entire apartment. I pulled out a mop and a dream. And those were the only two <laughs> things I was operating on. <laughs> and then I made a corn a dog. A mop and a dream. <laughs> Literally. Um, and then I made a corn dog in the air fryer, I guess. And I passed out. And that's how I got, I got up this morning, still drunk. And had a come to God moment in the shower while listening to the Minecraft soundtrack. Inshallah. Thank you. Go dog. <laughs> Inshallah, go dog. Inshallah, Thank go you. Dog. So I do want to say, I don't want you, I don't want to force any disclosures on this podcast, but I will just, as a preview to what you could hear if you got on our Discord, I will tell you that Yara told me about the series of unfortunate events that happened at 90s bar, and it does involve her jumping out of a moving car. <laughs> Why was the car at 90s nope, bar? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You, if you want to know more, you don't should get on our- I wasn't our, here for this conversation. You get on our Discord for only $1 a month, and that's the kind of information that you'll get access to. That's a patrons-only story. Relive your glory days here with our friend Yara. Youth Outreach Coordinator to the Stars. Yeah, and if your glory days were as crazy as Yara's currently are, like, God willing, dude, like, you, you deserve to be here. <laughs> like, you, you, you are on a, you're yeah, on another you level it. if you're already at Yara's level. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for sharing that little slice of, y of youth, Yara. That makes me, I feel much younger. Having <laughs> Just a little age. slice yeah. of youth. Of course. Wow, it's like the fountain of youth here. Yum, 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 Every yum, time yum. you tell these stories, <laughs> I feel a touch younger. I'm like, oh, yes, I know how things are. With the youths these days. <laughs> I know things are. With the youths. Yeah. I, apparently, I, I guess just based on this little narrow slice of youth that I get every week, that most youths these days are Muslim. <laughs> That's what I've learned so far. Yeah. That's nice. what Nathan's pulled from yeah, this. Yeah. It's like everybody, inshallah, is not just a Muslim saying, it's also like a Gen Z slang now. And it means God willing. <laughs> It's, it's yes. not really slang because it just means the same thing that it already meant. 
Inshallah isn't just a saying. It's a way of Gen Z lifestyle, I think. It's like Hakuna Matata, you know? We had Hakuna Matata, they have an Inshallah. Yes. Which animated animals are going to sing that song to us? That's what I want to know. In sort of like the Muslim culture, is that a phrase that gets used outside of its literal meaning? Like, do you just say it? Yes. Yeah, you just say it like, like we would say go dogs or whatever. Like it just is sort of like a catch-all. Go dog. Yes. Very specifically, like I, so this is like a, this is a known thing in the Muslim community. If you ask your parents for something and they say inshallah, that means no. That, that's, that's a joke. Oh, You're not getting it. Oh, okay. So like if I ask like, hey mom, can I, can we like, go get, I don't know, Chick-fil-A after school or something, and she says, inshallah, nah, I tried. I tried. I'm not getting that Chick-fil-A, man. So that's like the Muslim version of we have Chick-fil-A at home. Yeah, exactly. Let's get into the numbers of this game and what we can maybe learn from it. So we'll go through some some stats that have been lovingly uh, written out and created, all of the the pretty little rocks that Nathan has brought, Yara and myself. And then, you know, we're going to use these and talk about this game and sort of what we hope to see going forward. But we'll start with the defense a little bit and and I'll provide some sort of overall observations from the numbers. And then Nathan, if you wanted to translate that for us into a more layman's term for the audience, that would be great. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's party. Okay. So some of the observations I know we've seen over the last five games and that we're, we're either reading about or seeing, you know, with the eye test is that it, it feels like the defense has regressed. And, uh, you know, despite Auburn scoring 20 points, 14 of which came off of short field turnovers, th- there was still a negative EPA per play, negative point zero nine. So what does that mean for this defense? How true is it, Nathan? And how do you feel about the defense going forward? Yeah, so they obviously have regressed. I agree. And I sort of just think that, When you give up 14 points off of short field turnovers and you have a negative EPA per play, that means you're still a good defense. I think this defense is good. They're not the best defense in the nation. They might be in the top 15 or something, but I still think they're quite good. Negative EPA per play means that on average, when Auburn stapped the ball yesterday, they lost points, right? Like they were on average not getting closer to scoring when they snapped the ball. And the times when they did score had a lot to do with short fields. You know, this is a defense that I think personality-wise has been very much been don't break. They have they do have done a very good job of limiting points per opportunity. Auburn had seven opportunities, that's seven trips inside of Georgia's 40, and they averaged 2.67 points per opportunity. So this is not a team that is just going to give you immediate three and outs on defense, but this is a team that if you give them 75 yards to work with can get stops. And so I think that it's a it's sort of an expectations game. If you judge this defense by the standards of Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter's defenses, they're going to look bad. If you judge them by the standards of the rest of the defenses in the nation, they're still pretty damn good. I mean, I think that they have the potential to be a top five defense, but they're just not there yet because a lot of their contributors are young or have not had a lot of playing time in a starting role. As you said, every time they snap the ball, they lost points, statistically speaking. And unfortunately, contrary to what we learned as millennials watching Airbud growing up, there is a rule that says, you know, uh, you can't not snap the ball, um, unfortunately. The dog must play football, you know. Um, they had also a 37% success rate on the day, they being Auburn, is that correct? And then we only generated 11% stuff rate. 
which is basically, as you put it, the reason why they stayed in the game. And and I had a sort of note here to say, I hate to spoil the preview for this week, but I am afraid that Kentucky is going to run all over us if this is how we we play next week. We're going to, you know, they, they are a team that's more one-dimensional than this Auburn team, and we are going to most likely force them to run the ball because, or, I don't know, make them throw the ball. We'll have to see. But based on this game, it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to force them to throw the ball, even though that would be ideal since their quarterback is in a much more difficult position than even Auburn's quarterback was. But other than that, they had 40% stopped runs for less than two yards, but 50% opportunity runs, which are runs for greater than four yards, which again is not great playing against Ray Davis next week. They were either ripping off chunks or they get nothing, but it's really, as you put it, Nathan, an indictment of the, the linebacker core for us. Ultimately, overall, we did have a 60% stop rate, which is pretty good when when you're you're kind of looking at this whole thing as a whole but what else can you kind of tell us if you put all those things together in the end of this game and what it sort of tells us going forward like i said for an indictment of the inside linebackers i thought that watching the play and the pff scores back this up that our inside linebacking core just didn't look good in particular our two starters jamon dumas johnson and smile munden who are very talented and jamon dumas johnson has a lot of experience but they were just not in the right place a lot of the day. And I think that in particular, Smile Munden, who is a preternaturally talented guy, just was misaligned. There was one time where Peyton Thorne ran for a first down basically because Smile Munden lined up three or four yards too close to Jamon Dewis Johnson and got blocked out of the play because of it by a lead blocker. And so I think that that's fixable. It doesn't necessarily feel to me like that's an ability or a talent thing. It's just like a like getting your shit together and playing basics thing. I also think that our outside linebacking core has just been okay when it comes to especially stopping the run. And I actually think they've been kind of bad at times, right? In terms of run defense, if we look at our highest graded run defenders um, over the week, it was a bunch of defensive tackles. A and then Malachi Starks, right? So you have like, you know, Nazir Stackhouse had a really good run day. Mikel Williams had a good day against the run. Warren Brinson had a good day against the run. And then our highest rated run graded defender at outside linebacker was Marvin Jones Jr. at a 69.9%, but he had no tackles on against the run and only one assist. So he wasn't really making a difference, right? But then if we go down like even further, like Chaz Chambliss, 64.5 PFF grade against the run, pretty rough day only recorded one tackle on a running play, only had a 3.2% stop percentage on running snaps. If you keep on going down, you have to keep going down to find the starting middle linebackers, right? Jenamon Dumas Johnson, 61.5 grade against the run. Smile Munden, 60.1 grade against the run. So to me, that indicates that A, we're not setting the edge well in our outside linebacking core, and that in particular, I think Chaz Chambliss, as a smaller guy, is kind of getting washed out against the run. And B, I think that there is just some positional stuff where guys are just not in the right spot or they're committing to the wrong hole and then getting kind of like washed out in the trash of traffic coming across the formation. I saw Smile Monday do that quite a few times. You know, I think the one bright spot in the inside linebacker core against the run and just in general was Xavier Sori, who had a very good day rushing the passer and was the highest rated inside linebacker. He was actually significantly higher rated against the run even than... Jamon Dumas Johnson or Smile Munden and Hat was our second highest rated pass pass rush player. I thought that Sori, number 18, he was just always around the ball. He looked like he was actually playing without any hesitation. Munden seemed to be kind of hesitating a little bit. There, there were some good things, right? Malachi Starks is the best player on the defense. He was the highest rated guy on our defense and also just he looked in midseason form. Javon Bullard had a 
off and on day, but he was, for the most part, very good, and it was his first game back. Warren Brinson is the guy that no one is talking about that is arguably playing the best across the season of any player on this defense. Warren Brinson has been our first or second rated guy on defense uh, by PFF every game. The, he, like This was his lowest rating of the year, and he was third but below Michael Williams and Malachi Starks. He is just a very good player, number 97, that probably does not get enough credit. Like He was our number one rated run defender. He was our pass rush. The Oh, no, he was 10 in pass rush. So like he's just a dude who affects the ball. He affects plays. He is really good at getting penetration. He's not Jordan Davis or Jalen Carter, but he's a dude that I think you should watch for. But yeah, I mean, I think that from both an overall situ- an overall standpoint and also from a standpoint of individual statistics, that this is a team that defensively is good, has the opportunity to be elite and is improving, but is not what it was last year. Sure. And that's difficult to do. Do you have anything to add on the observations of the defense, Yara, before we move to offense? Let's party. Malachi Starks is him. He's Himothy. He's Himothy Jones, I guess. He's the best player on our defense. <laughs> um, and he's the highest rated one, I think. And Zayden Sawyer is the highest rated MLB on the day, fourth highest rated defensive player. He was our best pass rusher on a per attempt basis and won 40% of his pass rush snaps. Honestly, I think we got shit on pretty hard. And I hope that we, like, I'm just, I don't have a ton of words to describe how I feel on defense just because we got shit on so hard. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Like, I think we need to really sit down before Kentucky next week. And we need to contemplate and evaluate some of our choices. And because, like, I've been saying this since the beginning of the season. Kentucky is going to be a dark horse sleeper candidate for like what a good game will be i'm trying to get tickets to the game because i think it's going to be really fucking good and last night both our game and kentucky's game like demonstrated that very well i think we really need to sit down and watch film and get better but we'll noodle on some offensive things before we get to full game notes but overall i mean there are some things to say about it and there's some things to not say about it. I think really this is a game for Georgia that was won in by third downs. Like if you were to watch this game and just watch the third downs, you would think this is the best team in the nation. If you were to watch this team in first and second downs, you'd be like, that's a pretty damn good team. But if you watch just purely third downs, it is, it's pretty insane. Other than that, full 27% of our runs were stuffed which I imagine is still, you can lend that to the situation in the running back room. We still have folks that are out and folks are filling in those roles to still keep our offense dynamic. 47% total were stopped, but we had 40% opportunity runs, but that only added up to 12 runs total because we figured out we couldn't run it effectively in the second half. And instead, Carson Beck balled out and and bombed, it just threw the ball to, to Brock Bowers. And that's exactly what we needed, right? 48% success rate, which is passable. It's almost not passable, but... Today, it proved to be passable. And numbers here for that third down success rate, 62%. Like I said, that is like top tier. That is exactly what you need. Fantastic. And uh, to kind of show, you know, further that, that there are chinks in this offensive armor. 
so to speak. Uh, our EPA per rush is negative 0.11, which is why we saw a lot less running in the second half, I believe. What can y'all sort of add to further illustrate the, this game offensively for us? When I made these stats notes, I didn't say anything about Brock Bowers because I know we're going to talk about him in our game notes. We all know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to Brock Bowers. This is just, I want to talk about like offense, comma, not Brock Bowers. So look, we have to be honest that our guard play is not good right now. And I think in particular, and I hate to call guys out, but like Tate Ratledge several times, and I saw Graham Coffey tweet this, but I also just saw it happen on the field. A lot of times when Carson Beck was like on his ass or someone got tackled in the backfield, number 69 was turned around looking at it happen, which means he was the dude who got messed up. If you look at our PFF performance on the offensive line, Tate Ratledge was the guy who was the second worst on rush blocking and the first worst on pass blocking. Xavier Trust, the whole right side of the line has just not been playing well. That's disappointing, right? Xavier Trust and Tate Ratledge are both dudes with multiple years of experience, both dudes who have started before. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is a Stacey Searles thing where it's like there's been some regression in the, in the coaching and the teaching. I don't know if they're just having bad senior years, but like that has to be cleaned up if we're going to be as good as we can be this year. And like, I know that we've had some injuries at the running back position, but this is not a team that should be this bad at running the ball. Just like coming into the year, you would have said, okay, Carson Beck and the past game are going to be what wins this games because we have so much wide receiver experience returning and we have Brock Bowers and that's fine. But like we should be supplementarily good running the ball, and at least against Auburn, against the best defense we played this year, we were not like on a per play basis. We were bad, and there were times where we were good, but there were times where plays just got blown up at the snap because a lot of the times Dylan Fairchild or Tate Ratledge, the two guards who were playing the most, just got blown up. I mean, I think that I expect to see the line to be relatively like in terms of starters, relatively the same going into next week. But it wouldn't shock me if that those guys have a shorter leash. Do you have any observations or stats that you want to talk about, Yara? I mean, I'm looking at the game on paper, like the advanced box score. And at one point, Auburn had like an 85% chance of winning. And I just, that is so shockingly like scary to me. I don't know. I don't know. And I know that it's because I'm new to like college football and I I know that I haven't been here for, you know, in when Georgia was in our flop era. And I I know that I'm not yet used to like the experience of like not doing well and like only barely getting shit together. But this was like really shocking to me. This was the scare my this might have been right up there with Ohio State. Um, for me at least, as a game where I genuinely don't think we should have won. Like, I don't, I think that at the end, we started to get our shit back together and that was good. But for the most part, I'm fully convinced that we won because of luck. Like, I, and I don't know, I don't know. I understand, like, I'm really glad that we won still. And I know that I'm new to this and I recognize that and I acknowledge that. But that's, I guess that's my observation slash game notes. I don't know if that makes sense. There is some credit to be said. Like there is some luck involved, especially when it comes to turnovers. Like, you know, it's it's essentially if there's a fumble, there's a 50% chance that either team could get the ball. And from there, you know, statistically speaking, turnovers are worth four points for either team. And so 
I think that there is definitely some luck involved. The luck went the other way for us. And so, you know, earlier we said in the episode, like, if that luck hadn't gone their way, it went our way instead. This game may look like a 21 to 7 game or 21 to 3 game. You know, it could have looked very different. But I don't think, I will say, your experience in the list is valid. You just have a very fantastical view of what Georgia football is. Like I've said previously, like when Anna used to teach like second grade and Obama was still president, they would say, oh, have we ever had a white president? Like, <laughs> like same question for you is like, have we, has Georgia ever been bad? You know, I think that's totally fine to have that point of view. But I, I agree that there, it did seem like there was definitely some, some luck involved um, at certain points. Yeah. I mean, just overall, but I, I'm pulling these stats from Parker Fleming because he has, this is stats of war on Twitter. If you ever want to see his stuff, it's pretty good. But he he does like post game win expectancy and like post game projected score, where basically it's just like you take all the stats, you throw them in a hat, and you say like, okay, who was more likely to win? What do we think the score was based on these stats? So his post game win probability for UGA was ninety one percent, and his post game projected points was thirty four, and then Auburn fourteen. That is a lot because of his uh, because of like those turnovers, right and I think that I would say, on the one hand, am I concerned about Kentucky? Are we going to talk about it? Yeah. But also on the other, and I guess this is just my personal philosophy on being a fan. And so maybe, hopefully, Yara, this helps you a little bit. It is dumb to pretend that your team doesn't have flaws. But it also is not the correct analytical mindset to pretend that a team's flaws fully define it. Right? Ultimately, UGA won this game because they were more talented and because despite their very obvious flaws, even their flawed players are five stars. And that's why they won. And so when you see these statistical models project UJ as the winner and it feels really weird, that's why, right? And I, I, would, I would caution people against overreacting. I don't want to look forward too much. But right now, Vegas has UGA minus 19. To me, that feels like an obvious invitation for people to bet on Kentucky. And... Vegas sometimes is wrong, but they set their lines for a reason. They want people to bet Kentucky by giving Kentucky 19 points. Now, I don't necessarily think that UGA is going to beat Kentucky by more than 19 points, but I also think that we can't fall into the fallacy of looking just at our most recent results emotionally, right? This is still, this is not the best team in the nation. This is not the number one team, I don't think. But I do still think this is a top five team that can go to the college football playoff if they figure some things out over the next few months. And Ultimately, that's, you know, if you can get to the SEC championship, all bets are off. And then you just kind of figure it out from there, right? And I, I think that's a good transition into our game observations, if you, if, at this point. I think so, too. I don't want to say something. And this actually fits in with what you were talking about, Yara. I have been a UGA fan since 2006. And so not as long as many people in the UGA ecosystem, but longer than some people. And I really like this team. I really liked watching this game yesterday. And it's yeah. not that I didn't like being so dominant because that was fun. But also, there's just more to talk about when the team has more flaws. So like yesterday, I was like, oh, man, I have some observations. And last year, I felt like every game was me being like, yeah, we were better than them. <laughs> we beat the shit out of them, didn't we, guys? You know, other than the Ohio State game, it was pretty much like I didn't have a lot to say about the way the game broke down. And... I really like this team. They're flawed, but they're they're fun and they're really good. There's really good players on this team and they're figuring it out as they go. And I'm I just feel like they're so gutsy. 
and they're not as good as last year. And eventually their gutsy performances are not going to outweigh their very slow starts. But I just really enjoy the hell out of this team. Like they're fighting through a lot of a lot of injuries. They're they're having to employ young guys at key positions. And for the most part, those young guys, despite having real slip ups, are doing well, right? I mean, look, Carson Beck, Carson Beck is good. Is Carson Beck the number one overall draft pick? No. But man, he's a good player, dude. Like we were down seven and Carson Beck got the ball back at the two. And he led that team on a 98-yard drive and converted three third downs. That is elite, elite play. In Jordan, in Jordan Hare, when everybody was jacked up and they thought they could take the number one overall team. This is the, I saw on the broadcast, this is the first time in four tries, the last four times that Auburn played the number one team in Jordan Hare, they won. And that's a lot to put on a quarterback. And yeah, he had Brock Bowers, but like, he has a 75-yard drive to win the game. And I get that 60 of those yards were Brock Bowers, and Brock Bowers is a cheat code. But like he didn't he didn't get rattled. He threw a bad pick and he didn't get rattled. He had a bad turnover from one of his receivers and he didn't get rattled. He got out there and he played the game. And I respect the shit. I think he is like a very talented quarterback who is gonna get a little bit of a run and in the NFL going into next year. I really do think he's that good. I also, like, we talked about this, but Tate Rallagenet, guard play is rough overall. I think that defensively, things are coming along. Run fits are rough. I think this is a really good defense, and I'm excited to see what these young guys can do. I thought Mikel Williams is turning into a star. Malachi Stark's turning into a star. I think that Samuel Mapimba can be really good. Xavier Sori can be really good. These are all dudes who I think are going to play. There's a lot of NFL players on this defense. Right now, they're not putting it together, but I'm excited to see what's going, what's happening going forward. And I don't know if it's just like, I, there's some broken part of me that likes it when we're worse or something because, because like I, I I'm, I'm a broken person, but man, I really dig this team and I dug last year's team and I dug the year before his team for different reasons because they had great personalities and they were so good and it was just fun to be in the halcyon days. But man, this team, they're gritty. They're about as gritty as like a team full of five stars can be. So Yara, Justin, observations. I'm right there with you, Nathan. I know over the last, like the first national championship season a couple years ago, that was fun to talk about. Just looking at it from like a, a podcast perspective. Last year, honestly, the regular season was fairly boring. <laughs> and so you're exactly right. Like it's really fun to be able to have things to talk about, things to observe, things to glean from the numbers, and things to sort of speculate on. It makes it a lot more fun. Like last year was a statistical anomaly. That team was unreal. They just pulled play out of their asses the whole time. And I half the time I'm like, I don't know how they do this. This is incredible. This year, it is like I a few games ago I was I, I kind of like I was sitting there watching and I was like, I'm having fun. And it's because, you know, struggle and challenge if we're looking at this from like a literary analysis point of view <laughs> failure begets excitement and interest and it's fun um, that progresses the narrative and that's what we want out of this we want a narrative to watch last year it was just like yeah you're the the damn death star yeah <laughs> like we get it um it's incredible i love it as a fan i want something more pretty famously kurt vonnegut said that when it comes to plotting when it comes to making plots of plots that you can't, that a masterpiece cannot be crucified on 
a, a cross of such design when it comes to Freytag's pyramid, which is like the thing you learned in grade school about like, you know, at Shakespeare plays, they like go over and then up and then down. But I do think that in this instance, the last two years have all been like falling action. Like the 2021 championship was the climax. And last year we got another championship, but that was just us resolving all of the trauma that we've had. And this year it's like, damn, dude, we got like an inciting incident. We got, we got rising action. We got a reversal, right? Freytag said that every story could be divided into the play and the counterplay. And I feel like the last year was the counterplay. And now we got to play again, baby. We got like drama. It's good. We got, we got things for actors to do. I'm excited about it. One thing about Carson Beck, like just to kind of echo your point about him being him being good, it's like I want to remind people if this isn't set like set in, that was his first road game start. Imagine having to go to Jordan Hare to play against a team that thinks they have a pretty good shot at beating the back to back national championship or champion team, and then that being the first time you've ever started. <laughs> like how I none of us will ever know what that feels like. And I can only begin to speculate. And I think that's pretty wild. And kudos to him. What I would say is that Stetson Bennett didn't have... He was he was kind of a flat character in, in the sense that he was limited, but he didn't really have flaws. He was a really good quarterback at what he could do. Carson Beck has flaws, dude. And he is fun. It's fun to watch him struggle. He throws that pick and you're like, oh no. And it's like Commedia dell'arte, man. He is like, he is, he is the man that we love. He is like Macbeth. He's Oedipus. He's King Lear. Like we love, we love somebody who falls in him. I'm not saying that Carson Beck has sex with his mom. I'm saying like Oedipus is an archetypal <laughs> flawed hero, right? Dara, what were your observations? I do. I, I know we talked about this a good bit, but I do want to emphasize that like Already, I like this season so much more than last season. And this has been like an ongoing thing. I've talked about this a good bit. But I'm of the belief that the 2021 season was infinitely better than 2022. And that's kind of my thing that I've been saying. Just because we experienced loss in 2021. And that's what made the championship and the season that much better. We experienced loss and came back from it and dominated. Last year, in 2022, we didn't do that. It was just keep fucking pounding, you know? And I was never particularly concerned about anything. And that wasn't fun. Like that's not what football is at the end of the day. I don't know if I have a definition of what football is, but I can say what it isn't. And I don't think that was particularly fun. I don't think it was enjoyable. And this year, although it is taking years off of my life, it is fun. It's fun again. <laughs> I There's this meme that's going around. I tweeted it. It's like, average Georgia football game. Oh, boy. Like, at the beginning, it's like, oh, boy, I'm excited to see my team play. And the middle is just, I'm going to kill myself. And the very end is, nice, we won. Like, the very last few minutes. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I think that's that's what makes college football fun, you know? Like, not knowing if you're going to win or not. Last year, was, apart from one or two instances, it was just, okay, we are going to win by a lot. And this year, it's just kind of, you don't know. And that's what makes it fun. I'm I'm really enjoying, like, you know, all these phone calls to my parents asking them to pray for their dogs. I'm really enjoying hunkering down to the point where I'm on the floor 
and watching this shit ha- like unfold. I love the uncertainty. Call it masochistic, but like I love the uncertainty, and it is a good time. We've kind of been talking around. I think the most important part, and so we, before we get into Justin's porn corner, I'd like to have a little like a little three-way porn corner here, and while we talk about Brock Bowers, <laughs> okay, Brock sure. Bowers. I my pronouns are he they because I'll never be him. You know, like Brock Bowers is he's just so I he's not just the best player on the team. He's not just the best tight end in the nation. He might be the best player in the nation. Anyone would anyone like to elaborate? <laughs> I, I want to go back to a quote that Kirby Kirby had earlier when asked about Brock's performance on the evening. He said Bowers did what he does. Smart said, I mean, the guy is amazing. It's a wonder. It's a wonder why you don't just go to him every play, which I'd like to dig into that just a little bit. <laughs> but maybe now's not the time. But I think it's a really interesting thing to, thing to say as the head coach of the football team. I don't know why you don't just go to him every play, as if he's speaking straight to the heart of Carson Beck. I don't know why you don't just throw the ball to him every time, Carson. Just do it, man. <laughs> he's gonna clean up. We got breaking news. Actually, we retained our number one position on the AP poll. It just came out. They're wrong. Although I will say, I think part of the problem is that who would you rank number one? Michigan, maybe, but they haven't really played anybody, right? Ohio State has at times looked flawed. Maybe Florida State, but I think that they're getting kind of like the SEC negging going on because, or the ACC negging because the ACC is quite bad. So I think we're mainly retaining the number one spot because it's like, who else would it be? Like, but I, Recency bias would tell you that we're not number one, but I don't know who they would replace us with. Kentucky now is officially 20th, which is very exciting. Next week is a top 25 matchup. So now that we have waxed Repsodic about how much we love Brock Bowers, he's so good it's almost indescribable. You know, God willing. And it's now time for Justin's Porn Corner. Who holds the leash? We delayed this because last week we got into some pretty heavy stuff and we thought it would be weird to talk about like sexual assault and then do the porn corner. But now that we've won the game and this is a much more lighthearted episode, it's time for Justin to bring us his his abominations that God did not foresee. Slaking your dark thirst, Justin. So if this is your first time in Justin's porn corner, what this is, is ChatGPT and I, the notorious AI, have joined forces to bring you unspeakable horrors made by man and machine. What this is, is a, a poem that we have created over time. It has learned what I want from it, and it has created time and time again, uh, my dark delights. So usually this is in four components, but ChatGPT has gifted us a fifth stanza today. And those stanzas are going to be titled, one, the sultry south, two, the auburn allure, three, the intimate drive, four, the sensual surprise, and five, the grand finale. So without further ado, who holds the leash? The Auburn edition. All right, do I have some surprises for you? In the sultry heart of the South, where desires combined, Harry Dog rolled in, his truck's chassis fine. To Auburn he ventured, drawn by a magnetic, magnetic spree, to the war eagle, tiger, and plainsman, all wild and free. First, the war eagle with eyes that seduce, hovering close, making Harry's heart produce... The tiger with a purr and a provocative sway, while the plainsman's gaze made Harry's resolve decay. Harry smirked, an invitation in his eyes. Join me, and let's explore where the pleasure lies. In the back of his truck, under a blanket of stars, the foursome drew close, shedding their guards. 
The radio hummed a familiar sultry strain and outstepped T-Pain with a look hard to contain. Let's elevate this night, make it truly arcane, with a touch of magic and a hint of champagne. As dawn kissed their skin with a soft, sultry touch, they realized this night had given so much. And as dawn approached, Harry knew the truth. Friendship and adventure truly are the fountain of youth. Snaps. Snaps. So there's so many implications of this. One, friendship and adventure are the fountain of youth when you're having (laughs) multiple partner sex with famous rappers and mascots, I guess. is That's why we... That's how we keep from aging. That's why it's so hard to do. Man, the I like driving in my truck references. Jeez. <laughs> the, the original, uh, I will say, previous iterations of this, because usually I go back and forth to ChatGPT and we write, rewrite it like several times. And previous iterations, it was much more explicit about Harry Dog was literally driving his truck to Auburn and inviting all of his friends in like two men in a truck style. <laughs> and I really so you had to tell ChatGPT like, hey, this is a truck. There's a truck involved in this. Also, T Pain yeah. is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, literally, it is not a metaphor. It is a literal truck. Uh, but make it a little bit more like provocative, please. Also, I, the T Pain part was really easy. I said, can you incorporate T Pain? And this is why, because sometimes you have to explain to Chat TPT like the nuance of a joke. And that's that's what I did for this one. What a good time. I think though, what I'm learning about Harry Dog from the final stanza. As Don approached, Harry knew the truth. Friendship and adventure truly are the fountain of youth. He's had some some really intimate connections in previous poems. And so I think that maybe what we could do to fill in between the lines here is that Harry Dog has had some moments where he's like, is this something more than just, you know, a, a, a flash in the pan? And so he's probably explored relationships with previous mascots. But what he learned this time was that this is just fun. This is for me. This is friendship and adventure. We're all on the same page. We're agreeing. Like he was looking for just a physical connection, like one night sad, but and he didn't find a real relationship, but he did find friendship, which maybe that is even more important than a long term relationship. Yara, any thoughts? I really like stanza four specifically when when surprise guest T-Pain comes out. That might be my favorite part of this entire thing. I also like how he just has a teensy bit of champagne. Just just a hint. Just a little bit. A hint of champagne. A touch. Because he's saying, let's responsibly enjoy each other. He's saying, let's not <laughs> let's not ruin this under the guise of alcohol. T-Pain popped out of the... Like, and also, he just shows up. I think that he, he like magically appeared from the radio just to sort of remind everybody, like, hey... Consent is important, and so we only have a, a bit of champagne, but let's really make this night something special. And all of that, I'm sure, was covered in layers and layers of uh, uh, autotune. I also like the idea. Auto-tune, I like the idea that you. like T Pain was non participatory. He was just like the MC. He's like, I'm going to get the music right. <laughs> he was I'm going to get everybody in the right the right zone, and then I'm going to get out of here. And you guys just do what you need to. He's there. He's like, do you kids need Musically, anything? Musically, that is T Pain's role. Like, let me buy you a drink is big, like, hey, let's get ready to have sex, but I'm going to leave afterwards. I'm not going to be there for it. You know, like the bedroom jams. The ultimate wingman. I really like T-Pain, like the concept of T-Pain just like being not quite the babysitter, but like the hype person. Like, I'm imagining him like coming up with... Uh, like a whole strap of condoms, right? Like his whole DJing set, probably set up in this truck bed. A little bit of champagne, a little bit like, and he's just making sure that everybody's having a good time. He's there to help with whatever. Are you guys on prep? 
Like you should be if you're not. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, has everybody got their Gardas? Has everybody got their Gardasil vaccine? I I actually can. I am a licensed nurse. I can deliver these Gardasil vaccines if you need to. Y'all got HPV? We're gonna work <laughs> on it. I love that T Pain is now in the eyes and hearts of CBC lore. He is both a a like a what you call it like a consent queen and a, like gay icon. Yeah, sex positive. T-Pain. Yes. Yeah, he T Pain does strike me as one of those like deeply inoffensive straight guys that would like do well in a queer setting. Like I I did a T Pain ride on Peloton and it seemed like he was he did pretty well in that that area. All right. Let's see us out of here. <laughs> this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, we would love if you would give us a rating and a review wherever you find your fine podcasts. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can find us on social media at Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to send us a more pedestrian, old school kind of communique, you can hit us up on email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this podcast with your actual hard-earned dollars, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash chapelbellcurve. As little as $1 a month gets you access to a burgeoning, exciting, dynamic community of Discord patrons, and more money gets you more benefits, such as a raw audio feed that you get immediately after every live recording or our personal stats or your own segment on our podcast. We will catch you in the Classic City this weekend for the gargantuan matchup against the CATS Cats, Cats, Cats. But until then, go dogs. Go Go dogs. dogs.